Welcome back to Part-Time Football. I'm your host, Ben Talbot. Here joining us again is Cody Hayfley from Tennessee. How's it going, mate? Good, man. Thanks for having me back. How are you? Yeah, doing well. Doing well. Uh, it's been a big weekend, lots of drama, so I'm looking forward to it. Uh, we are covering the third weekend of Premier League action today. We have VAR drama, we have late goals and surprising wins. So today we've chosen five games from the weekend to discuss and dig into we have Manchester United earning themselves their first win of the season in late and controversial fashion with a 3-2 win over Brighton. Leicester were able to stun Manchester City with a come-from-behind dominant 5-2 victory. We'll also touch on a tale of two halves with Chelsea and West Brom in an outing that saw Chelsea 3-0 down at half-time only to find themselves finishing level at 3-3 with the help of a stoppage time equaliser. Uh, Liverpool proved why they are the champions in a comfortable and entertaining 3-1 win over inform Arsenal. And lastly, we'll chat about West Ham stunning Wolves to win their first match of the season 4-0. Cody, that's what we've got lined up ahead of us, mate. Let's, let's jump in with Man United-Brighton. Uh, kicking off the weekend, it was the first game on Saturday. United obviously lost their opening game against Palace, so went down with um, a bit maybe demoralised attitudes. But yeah, what what were your thoughts on this one? Lots of twists and turns. Yeah, um, I don't know about you, man, but as a United fan, I feel a little dirty, like celebrating <laughs> celebrating these points because um, obviously, I think we needed the result. Like three points are big from our a United perspective, United supporters, and but. Just from an overall perspective, you really feel hard done that Brighton didn't come away with anything from from the game, like at least a point, but to come away uh, with nothing mm-hmm. and in that in that fashion too. Um, it's yeah, it's rough because um, I, I remember at last episode I said to watch out for Trossard and he mm-hmm. like could he could have had a hat trick. Um, if he it was, wasn't for the post, he was, he was man of the match according to uh, BT Sports. They picked him being man of the match. Yeah, um, it really. I think it just really proves United's defense needs needs some work. Um, Lamptey too looked great going forward. Mm-hmm. He, he's really quick. Um, yeah, I, I just once once United went down with that penalty, which how cheeky, by the way. Do you think? Do you think? Do you think that was disrespectful? Uh, the the Paneka. The little cheeky one, and the cel- and, and, and then the, 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 the cry, like the the crying baby face or whatever to the camera. Yeah, a little bit. I was annoyed. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but once we went there's, down, you know, once some, you... I got, I got, I got to say, there's some great memes of like him doing his crying celebration, and then at the end of the game, because obviously he yeah, gave away the pen, face, so he's yeah. like crying at the end, like real tears. So life comes at you fast. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but yeah, United had to equalize, obviously, um, which which they did because that free kick set, led to an own goal, which was set up by a great run by Luke Shaw, which we need. They need more positive runs forward into the box. Mm-hmm. And then they went, they had to go 2-1 up, which is what I was looking for United to do, go 2-1 up. And they did. And then I want them to do more. I want right, them kill to off go. The game. Right. I want them to. I want. To, that's where you see like the Manchester Cities and the Liverpools. That's where they go three one up mm-hmm. or four one, and it kind of kills it off. But that's that's not you know obviously what we've been seeing. Um, right. And then we get to the end of the game, and yeah, do you want to talk about sort of the drama, the drama there? 
Oh my goodness. I mean, so I was watching in the pub and the second half, you know, we started, it was 1-1 at halftime and we, we played, um, we played better, I think. Or no, was it, we were 1-0 down at halftime, sorry. But anyway, it was 1-1 and we were playing better in the second half and we got, we got that goal to go 2-1 up. And yeah, I felt the exact same as you. I was in the pub and I was telling my friends, like, we, we need to kill off the game. We have to score because either the game is going to end 3-1 or it's going to end 2-2. Like, it's not going to stay 2-1. One, one of the teams are going to score. And United seemed a little bit defensive. And yeah, we got a little bit outplayed. And then Solly March scored 94th minute for mm-hmm. Brighton. Yeah. And actually, I was, taking, I was taking notes during the game. And in the 85th minute, I had, an, I had a note. I said, March is unlikely not to score. Like I just had a feeling I was like he's 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 making chances, he's creating things, he got the equalizer and it was deserved. To be quite honest, I think we deserve to lose that yeah. that game. I we, about turned I almost turned it off and walked away. Yeah. Yeah. And genuinely. I, I wouldn't have known all the drama that came in at the end. Yeah. And then of course at the at the very end, so the ninety fourth minute Brighton equalized, make it two two. There's only five minutes of out of time anyway. Uh, but because of the goal and the celebration, of course, it drags on a little bit. And then in the 96th or 97th minute, um, I forget who it was, someone bangs into the box and it glances off Morpé's arm for a corner, but the ref blows his whistle for full time. And then the VAR like, refs go into his ear and call it back for a handball, which was uh, one of many handballs across the weekend. I don't know, what, what was your opinion on it? Was, it? was it a pen? Was it not a pen? That's a bit controversial, uh, right? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. They're having, like, I think we touched on it, just they're having a hard time finding mm-hmm. consistency across the rule because if i feel like if you're gonna call it then every time the ball touches an arm it has to be mm-hmm. a penalty but you're not seeing that you see sometimes they're saying it depends on the distance where i think it was in the everton game where someone's arm was out but it hit him and it was too close they determined right but for this one i do technically like i think it was the right call for it to be a handball in the context of the rules and how they're trying to establish it. But then obviously you get more controversial when the full-time whistle has been blown. Yeah. That, that's the other thing. And I think there's a, there's a good case to be made that once the ref blows the whistle, that's it. You can't, you can't start going backwards. I kind of support that, I guess. But at the same time, the ref did blow the whistle very quickly and he should have made sure the VR wasn't checking anything. Mm. But, just a quick note on the handballs. Um, so it's the same rules as it was last season. Uh, it's just this season they've given the referees a directive to be effectively, they've given them less uh, margin of, of, of choice for the referees. So they, they have to be much more stricter this season is the directive. And so in com- to compare, uh, last year, I believe in the Premier League throughout the entire season, there were six penalties given for a handball. And already we're three weekends in and we've already had six. Uh, penalties for handballs already so crazy crazy numbers i think there was three at least three maybe even four penalties this weekend for handballs several of them were quite decisive this one you know gave united the three points uh newcastle equalized with one that gave them a point that they didn't deserve through another you know last minute handball what what were your thoughts going back to this game though what what were your thoughts Mm. on on brighton i guess man united too I, i you kind of touched on Man United a little bit. You were quite disappointed, but what what about Brighton? Any any criticism or positive things from them? Yeah, I think I think I think Brighton looked good going forward. Like I said, especially with Lamptey and Trossard, you have got these young players who just have a drive going forward. And I just compare that to United, where I don't I don't really see that that 
passion and desire. And when you look at, so here's some stats for Paul Pogba, no chances created, uh, no shots, no tackles, no interceptions. And his pass accuracy was 71%, which was the lowest of anyone on United. Right. Um, it doesn't show like they're really, really in it. Maybe it's a bit of a European hangover. Um, I'm not sure what's going on, but um, Brighton to me looked, look positive going forward originally i wasn't sure about how they're going to be this season but i think they've been playing playing pretty well and pretty pretty positively yeah they this is the second successive game that i've watched man united being outplayed by a low lower table side and deserving to lose frankly you know they deserve to lose against crystal palace they lost 3-1 and it was a fair result i think this game they probably could have lost 2-1 and i would have said it was fair brighton had more possession they had more shots on target they had more shots overall. Brighton had 18 shots to Man United seven. You know, they had more touches, more passes. I mean, United had, had good spells of the game, but overall Brighton were the better side. And it, it was very unfortunate the way it ended in terms of the penalty. And then, you know, it was in the 100th minute, uh, Bruno scored the penalty. And just, it really did feel like a highway robbery. Um, I think I said to you after the match, didn't I? I said it was like a bank heist, which it kind of felt yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, sometimes you have to grind out the wins, which United definitely did. I did feel that like Man United used up like half a season's worth of luck though in that game. <laughs> like the amount of times Brighton hit the post and hit the crossbar as well. I was like, man, we are we are riding our luck here. But yeah, mm. but um, yeah, just touching on Brighton, I don't think they'll be too. I mean, they'll be frustrated about this game, I'm sure, and the fans will be annoyed. But in terms of you know uh, looking forward to the future, they lost to Man United, they lost to Chelsea, but in both games they get a very good account of themselves. They also won a game in between. Um, you know, we've touched on Lamptey. Connolly looked very good. Morpé looked good up front. Mm-hmm. Um, Lallana had another good performance. Yeah, if I was a Brighton fan, I would feel quite good about this. And I think they'll be they'll do quite well this season. I think they'll be in good good stead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, let's move on to Manchester City. They played on Sunday against Leicester. Uh, of course, Man City began the season last, well, the week prior, beating Wolves 3-1. And Leicester came into this game winning both their games. I think... Well, this was the game I picked to be the best game of the weekend. We both talked about it in the preview. You know, we both were quite excited for this one, Le- Leicester-Man City game. And what, yeah, what were your thoughts? Did it live up to your expectations? Yeah, I mean, I look at the scoreline. I think, uh, yeah, it was really exciting and kind of not, well, yeah, a bit, a bit unexpected. I think it was a really poor performance for Manchester City, one of the poorest performances from a Pep Guardiola team. I think that I've seen um, just they it's clear that they have a lot of difficulty with defending in that space and behind. Um, they kept getting beat. Kyle Walker looked lazy. Uh, Nathan Ake, he's a good like little player on FIFA, but <laughs> I think he, he was part of a, a born missile, obviously that was relegated. Um, some questions mm-hmm. with his, uh, I guess maturity level. I mean, and, but he, he does score goals. Uh, yeah. He you saw that he he will do that for you. But I still think he's young, and uh, it, it does seem though that they might bolster that defense with Ruben Diaz. It seems like that might be a done mm-hmm. deal, which will help them. But that's not going to do anything about this game. Um, Lester, yeah. But, what they were think? definitely missing um, Laporte. Man, you know, just talking about Man City's defense, they definitely were missing Laporte. I think in the back line. 
Yeah, absolutely. He, he, he brings a level of communication. He's a good defender. He's probably their best defender. He was last season, I think. They missed him last year. He was injured for different spells of last season. They missed him. And yeah, he brings communication. He brings a bit more organization to the back. You know, a little bit like company did. Of course, company was a, a step above. But right. um, yeah, they, they missed him in the back. Well, and then you saw, I, I think, from when Fernandinho went off, um, mm-hmm. the organization sort of fell apart even further. Um, no one was really holding holding it together. And aside from the obvious disappointment in conceding five goals and losing the game, I, I wonder if it's a, a bit of a worrying performance, do you think, in terms of like how Pep's going to be feeling about this current like project or how the how the players are going to be feeling? I, look, I don't know, a little bit. So I was watching the game, and it's interesting because both Leicester and Man City came, and it was clear they came with their own game plans of how they were going to attack the game. And it was a bit similar to Liverpool-Arsenal. Leicester came a bit like Arsenal came defensive. They set up in a 5-4-1, and the plan from the very beginning, you could tell with Leicester, was to sit deep, absorb the pressure, soak up the pressure, and then just beat Man City on the counter. And Man City came in as they do, you know, under Pep Guardiola. They came to string passes together, control the midfield, control possession, effectively just break teams down, wear them out. And I think it'd be worrying for Man City because, you know, you look at some of the stats, Man City had 70% possession. They dominated possession. They had more shots. They had twice as many touches. They had three times as many passes. And yet they were thoroughly outplayed and they lost 5-2. So I'm not really, like, it's hard to, you know, argue about that. It's hard to, like, describe or explain how that happens except that Leicester had a game plan and they executed it to perfection like they, they did exactly what they were trying to do soaking up the pressure and playing off the counter yeah and Vardy again he's looking clinical like again this season little back heel goals mm-hmm. and all that looking looking so, like he's going to be in the title or the contention for golden beauty yeah. again I think yeah I think I think he will be I've got a question so I was watching this match with my, my brother Dan who's been on the podcast a few times and we were watching the very beginning and we could quickly see the, the game plan of Leicester, you know, to, to soak up the, the pressure and then hit them on the counter with Vardy playing as a number one as the target man. And I was saying, if you could choose anyone in the league to be that role, to play that, that target man role, who, like, who would you choose? Um, so, I mean, who, who would you choose, Cody? Like, if you could choose anyone to play as the one in that counter-attacking? Uh, like in the role that Jamie Vardy plays? Yeah, yeah. Particularly in that game. Yeah, in general. Like hitting off the break and having that one guy you're playing in. Yeah, someone someone that plays currently, you mean? Or, or yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like currently right now. It, honestly, Jamie Vardy, I think, is up there with the best. I think I, like you look at like Kylian Mbappe in the in the world. You look at Kylian Mbappe, you look at like the Sadio Mane, but I think he really is up there in terms of really intelligent in terms of positioning. He knows where to be in the right places at the right time. Uh, creating space, running, running around mm-hmm. space, um, and he's just—he's still so quick. And the game plan has kind of been the same for a long time with them ever since that year that they won the title. And it's—it's still—it's still working when it comes to him scoring goals, uh, running in behind, and and yeah. being a good finisher too. Because you can you can be really quick and you can run in behind, but he's a great finisher as well. Right? Yeah, he's so clinical. Yeah, I mean, I, I had the exact same answer. So we're talking and I was thinking, I was like, if I could choose anyone in the league, you know, maybe Salah. I think having Salah as a point man, again, he's so quick and so good, or even Mane. But I was like, actually, probably Vardy would be, if not second choice, like the number one choice in the entire league of playing the exact role. You know, he's so quick. He makes such intelligent runs. 
And then exactly like his second goal, the little cheeky back flick proves he's so clinical that when he gets into the position to score, he has the technique and the, cool, the, the calm head to actually put the ball in the back of the net, which is the most important thing at the end of the day. So yeah, Leicester are in a good position that they're, they're playing that tactic and they have probably one of the best players you know, to build that around. Yeah, I mean, Gray Vardy, of course, got the hat-trick against Man City. I think it's his second hat-trick against Man City in his career, which is pretty surprising. Yeah, I think, th- I think, there was, uh, I think he had one last season, it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, As they were saying now this is the first time in Guardiola's career in like almost 700 games that he's, his team has conceded five goals, which is very impressive for Guardiola. Also <laughs> impressive for Leicester that they've done that. But yeah. What are, what are you thinking about Leicester? I mean, three wins in the bounce. They've beaten some good teams. Yeah, I know. Like I, I said initially, I wasn't sure if – I think they looked a little bit better on paper than I saw in their performances. But now coming and playing like that against Manchester City, um, yeah, I think I think it's strength character for them to come off to this good start. Like come on, when you look at Project Restart and just sort of the poor end of the season they had, losing out in the Champions League, but – to not let that carry over into this season is really telling for them. Do you think? Do you think top four this year, or is it too too soon to say? You know, like top six. Mm. Top six. Mm. See, I say top six, but then I have you consider the other teams that are looking good this season that you wouldn't have considered as top six before. That I'm thinking now potentially. You know, I look at Everton and I say right. top six, which I wouldn't have for seasons and seasons so right. uh, tentatively I say that that sounds like a good estimate I think they're still going to be really good I think they they might still have some defensive issues to sort out Madison's going to have to stay healthy uh, and Jamie Vardy if something happens to him they need goal scorers scores they need people like Perez Tielemans to step up mm-hmm. and have more more production in terms of goal scorers from the other the other players but I think they'll be looking good this season yeah I agree I think top four it's probably too soon to say because you know man united and chelsea both have had uh warring beginning you know start to the, to the season but i think they're still better on paper the man united squad and the, and the chelsea squad so it's a bit too soon for me to say top four for leicester but i mean if they continue i mean they only missed out last year by very you know it was last game of the season they missed out on top four last year so it could be very interesting come the end of the season in terms of the european places it's gonna i think it for them it comes down to sustaining that entire season because you saw them they were in second place for the longest time behind Liverpool and it just mm-hmm. slowly, slowly started trailing off it's are they going to be able to sustain that for for an entire season I guess I guess we'll find out okay moving on to another big marquee affair this was the, I think the game that you picked to be the the best game of the weekend is your your hope for it uh, Liverpool played Arsenal uh, won 3-1 on, on Monday night. Big clash of the two big teams. Uh, yeah, what were your thoughts? Well, I, I know I, I initially said that Arsenal were going to win here, but <laughs> I, I, well, I think I was just trying to be controversial um, and I didn't want to see Liverpool win and like that kind of gut feeling. I, I felt like Arsenal had been... There's a, there's a lot of positive energy. It wasn't a crazy thing club. to say. Yeah, it wasn't a crazy yeah, thing to say. A lot of positive energy going in. And I didn't get to watch a whole lot of the game because I was working while it was on. It was behind the bar. So I got to go around and check in on it every once in a while. But um, looking at the highlights, uh, Andy Robertson, another defensive mistake, leads to a goal early on. I started thinking maybe, I maybe my prediction will come true. But then 
at Liverpool just, I think, showed the class. Yeah. Uh, Robertson made up for it by getting that go-ahead goal. Jota, Diego Jota scored in Mm -hmm. his debut. The signing, the most unexpected signing makes (laughs) the most unexpected debut goal for Liverpool. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But – yeah, I think Liverpool were just they're just they're just too good. Um yeah. Roy Keane called the performance called their performance sloppy, but who that do you was, think would win? Who hilarious. do you think would win in a win in a fight, Roy Keane or Jurgen Klopp? That was hilarious. I well I would have said Roy Keane up until yesterday and then like <laughs> as soon as the Klopp was mad and then yeah, Keane was like I've never seen Keane like that. Keane was so apologetic and backtracking and oh it was hilarious. If anybody hasn't seen, do do go on YouTube and look up uh, Roy Keane Jurgen Klopp showdown. It was um, it was pretty pretty good. A little post match uh, disagreement there, but yeah, really really fun game to watch. I mean, I just really enjoyed watching like pretty much from start to finish. It was again a little bit like Leicester and City, uh, Man City. You know, it was two teams who came with a very clear game plan. Arsenal, a bit similar to Leicester, came in with soaking up deep uh, pressure. Liverpool obviously are relentless, soaking it up and then beating the press and just feeding in Aubameyang behind or feeding in Lacazette behind. That was their game plan. Uh, they played it pretty well, actually. They didn't win, but they played it quite well. And Liverpool had their same game plan of just coming in, controlling the game, high, high press. They had a high defensive line. There were times in the game where Gomez and Van Dijk were almost like standing at the halfway line, you know, while the front mm-hmm. three for Liverpool were, were pressing and keeping Arsenal pinned back in their box. So it was dangerous against yeah. the front line that, and that with options like Pepe and mm-hmm. everyone's so very fast. And there was that, there was that opportunity where uh, I think it was Lacazette in the, around the, around the hour mark yeah. had a good chance in front of goal that uh, it might've been offside. Offside. I'm not sure if, it well, there, there was gone. two. There was one offside, but then I think the one you're talking about, it was onside. The one you, I think the one you mean. Right, the, that was ended up being saved. That yeah. what the game would have been two two at that point, and mm-hmm. it would have been would have been would have been a very lot a lot different. Yes, yeah, yeah, definitely. Exactly. Yeah, I think Arsenal were probably unlucky actually not not to score again. They Lacazette had two good chances. I think one of them might have been offside. Uh, Bamiang had a good chance, and yeah, I mean, it was almost like Liverpool kept taking that risk of playing the high line and. I don't know, you kept kind of feeling that like Lacazette or, or probably Obama Yang would break through, which they almost did a few times, but not not enough to break through. So yeah, I mean, they were just, they were dangerous. Arsenal were dangerous and they played well, but Liverpool was just simply a different class, I think. Yeah, I think yeah. I think Arsenal are just, there's, there's one or two couple signings away from being in that same class, but they're in talks for Awar and Party. Mm. So I think... Uh, adding bolstering to that midfield could be really. How do you think that would make them in the terms of like title contention? I I think it would strengthen them. The issue with Liverpool is it's not just the players, and it's not just a case of sign players to be like Salah or sign a player to be like Mane. It's also the fact that Klopp. I mean, he's been there a few years, and I think he's been there for three or four years, and he has them playing in in such a way. There there were several times during the game yesterday where. They would have a high press and they would get they would win the ball back in midfield. And it was like all the Liverpool players knew where all the other players were. Like as soon as they got it, they were just working in unison and they would just like pass it to each other. And it was like they, they all knew where each other were. And part of that is like because they've been winning a lot. So it's a lot easier to have high morale and, and good chemistry when you're winning because you feel good and you're happy to share the ball. You know, it's positive vibes. 
But a lot of that is also just Klopp and the way he's been training them and his philosophy. So I think it's going to be really hard for any other team to catch Liverpool, particularly the way they're playing right now. You know, they, they beat Arsenal, they've been comfortably the better side. They beat Chelsea, they're the better side. I think it'd be hard for Arsenal to, to contend for their title soon. With, yeah. you, how, how many more seasons would you give Liverpool, do you think, at the top? I don't know. I, I thought this year would be the year that they'd tail off a little bit. I thought City would win. And I thought Liverpool would just suffer a little bit performance-wise, like not have the same edge. And I don't know. I mean, we're only three games in, but so far they yeah. look pretty, pretty damn good. Like they're not slowing yeah, down. And like we talked about, like we talked about with adding the likes of Thiago, mm. really strengthening them. I think. Yeah, exactly. I think they're getting better. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. What, what do you think? I guess with what clubs doing is trying to make positive young signings. Thiago. It really depends on how the other teams around Liverpool progress. Um, because right. if, if everyone else continues, I think we're seeing some make a lot of positive trends, like United are trending positively, Arsenal are starting to look better. City are still, I think they're still going to be contenders just because of how, how good they are. But there are clear issues that they're having right now that are making it a little shaky. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see, but I give them I give them some time up there to at least be content contending for the title for a few seasons as long as they continue to trend how they are. And um, do you know what's Klopp's status with his contract? I don't know. I've seen reports that I think he has a I think it goes until twenty twenty two or maybe twenty four, and he I think he said he's going to take a sabbatical for at least a year, and then he said if he if he misses football after a year, he'll like return to football. And if he doesn't miss football after a year, then he'll just do something else, which I mean, fair enough. He's been doing it for a while and, you know, he's succeeded at the highest level. So fair enough. But I think he's got at least two years left in the contract. Yeah. I think they definitely have the potential to at least win a couple more, one yeah. or two for sure. Yeah. And just, just a quick thing I wanted to say on, on defensively wise, comparing Liverpool to uh, Man City because you know you you mentioned that we had a mistake yesterday the opening goal uh, went to was it Lacazette who scored the opening goal it was yeah uh, yeah for Arsenal and that came off the back of a pretty bad uh, mistake from Robertson I think they're probably less worried about individual mistakes you know we had that one for Robertson and then in the opening game against Leeds Van Dijk had a pretty bad error you know it should have been an easy clearance he sort of like passed it to Bamford to to let in a goal there so. There's been a few sloppy mistakes for Liverpool, but they've been like individual errors. And I think that's easier to fix than sort of a, a team breakdown where you can't really point the finger at anybody. It's just like the whole team, the whole defensive back line, which is kind of how, what happened with Man City against Le- uh, Leicester. Like the whole back line just seemed to be leaking goals. And I think from a, in terms of like fixing the problem and moving forward, it's probably harder to fix that problem than it is to fix Van Dijk or Robertson making an individual error because that's not going to happen very often. That's Well, let's talk about the, the fourth game from, from the weekend. West Brom sort of uh, shocked us with Chelsea. Game ended 3-3. Yeah, I don't know what you, what you thought about that one. That was pretty, <laughs> pretty up and down, pretty mad yeah, that game. One, that, one was, that, that one was another one that was on while I was at work, and I ended up being one of those that every time I would stand and watch it for a little bit, I would run and do something and I would turn around and there was a goal that <laughs> yeah. happened and I, I would, so that happened. I looked into it. I was like, wow, it was, it's one nil. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. All right, Chelsea. And I didn't, I wasn't even sure what had happened at that point. Right. I, I did. I didn't. Was it, I, was the first goal the Tiago Silva? That was the second one. Oh, that was the second one. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I went back to the kitchen. I came back and it was two nil and I left again and I came back. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. And I came back and it was three nil and just seeing, <laughs> uh, welcome to the premier league, Tiago Silva. Yeah. Oh um, my goodness. What the hell is that? Uh, you can't, like, you can't be doing that. That's kind of like, kind of like how I play on a, like a Sunday <laughs> if you're like hung over or something. Right, yeah, too many days in a just like you, you just like look up and you're not really paying attention and it goes right. right. Hey, props to West Brom for at least being, uh, the, looking for those, cha- looking right. for those yeah, chances. Making, and making t- the most t- of t- them, definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely taking advantage of, I think, another yeah. vintage, like what kind of performance we expect or with yeah. Chelsea just dominating possession. They had 76% possession. They had 22 shots compared to West Brom's eight, 706 passes compared to 169. And the score was three to three, just barely because they made it to make a great comeback. Right. And they only equalized in the 93rd minute, you know, Chelsea were losing up until the 93rd minute. Uh, they got a great goal. I think it was Mason Mount, if I remember correctly. No, sorry, it was Tammy Abraham equalized. Uh, they very easily could have lost that game. Who, Tammy Abraham had had some good chances that match that he didn't and probably should have converted on. So very easily could have been three points the other way. Um, right, by the end of it, they, what, probably, they probably could have won by the end of it 4-3, but just couldn't, couldn't quite. Uh, still not great for West Brom. Like, it was good, again, that they scored three goals, but again conceding three goals that's another three goals for them yeah uh looking at their past performances like what are your thoughts on on a on it i mean if if you're going to be critical to west brom which it's hard to be critical because they did score three against chelsea but if you're going to be critical you have to say that chelsea really gave them most of those three you know i mean you're correct they took their chances they were aggressive they were hungry uh, particularly the guys in, in the front line but um like the first goal really caballero the keeper really should have stopped it there's actually a really funny uh, shot on the TV. So Caballero should have, should have stopped it to make it 1-0 for West Brom. And then the camera panned to Kepa on the bench. And he was like so annoyed. And he was like, <laughs> talk, he was, like talking to the other Chelsea players on the bench and like telling them what he would have done. And I was like, well, you can't really talk, mate, can you? But mm. um, mistake there. Thiago Silva, like you say, just don't know what he was doing. It's a bit, a bit awkward, I thought, because he comes in for his debut and they give him the captain's armband, which I thought was a bit strange. Right, right, right. He's the captain on his debut, like, oh, the big, the big, you know, Europe coming over from Europe, the big Brazilian, you know, legend and everything, and then does that. So a bit. bit Maybe awkward. the pressure got to him a bit. I don't know. I don't know. West Brom, yeah, did well to, to go 3-0 up. And then the second half was all Chelsea. You know, like you say, 76% possession. Chelsea dominated. They had a few chances missed. Uh, Mason Mount, he was actually my uh, player of the game. Mason Mount, he, he scored the first goal for Chelsea to begin the comeback in the 55th minute, make it 3-1, and he was instrumental in sort of engineering um, chances for Chelsea, getting some energy in the midfield, moving the ball forward, uh, picking up the pace, really. So, I mean, Tammy, Tammy Abraham had a good game as well, and so did Havertz, in, in fairness. But, yeah, Mason Mount was probably the best player of the game, I think, and did, did quite well for Chelsea there. But, I mean, yeah, they, they, they escaped with, with one point, Maybe could yeah, have won, do, pro- probably could have lost, to be fair. Do you think it's just still a matter of getting some chemistry together from this Chelsea, Chelsea side? I think so. I mean, they're, they're missing Azbilicueta. 
think he he came on. He did, did come he, on. Did he come on for? He came on for Alonso in the second half. So they looked a little bit better in the second half with him. You know, they they need his leadership in the back. Chelsea have struggled defensively for the past couple of seasons. They've been a bit a bit sloppy, a bit disorganised, a little bit like Man United, I think, where overall good defence, but just seem to have a habit of conceding like silly goals. Right. Which part of that is they've had Kepa for so long, but part of that <laughs> is like they, they've had a bad start losing to Liverpool and then now drawing to West Brom. But right. I, I will Werner, team of Werner still without a goal. Yeah, he should have scored as well. He hit the crossbar, I think it was, or hit the post. Yeah, I think it was the crossbar on yeah. one. How, um, how, many, how many games for Timo until you start getting... Uh, a little bit antsy. Like, how many games goalless do you think? It'll I be? start thinking it's going to be like an Alvaro Morata thing. Hmm. I, mean, I it's I still would, early days. It's only three games in, but yeah, I'm thinking I would give him give him another two or three tops. Uh, but I feel like once once he scores one, it's he's gonna he's gonna start rolling with them. Once they start to gel a little bit more, uh, I yeah. think it's just kind of figuring figuring it out, figuring it out with uh, each other for now. He he does look really good. I'll say he does everything off the ball. His movement's really quick. His movement's very intelligent. Uh, his link-up play is good. He's making good runs. Yeah, I wouldn't be worried. Maybe if it's like another month into the season and he hasn't scored after like six or seven games, maybe people might be like asking questions about well, you know, when's you know, is he having problems adjusting to English Premier League or I don't know. But yeah, it's time to bring back Olivier Giroud. Yeah. Remember uh, Fernando Torres when he came over a couple Chelsea? Years ago? Yeah, to- Chelsea. Yeah. yeah, from came from Liverpool for like fifty million, and he struggled. He he was a good player. I think there was a bit of like like bit of curse of strikers at Chelsea for a while. Like I said, you know, Alva Morato. I feel like they're going to yeah, be yeah, worried. Yeah. There's cause for them to be worried. Like I said, if um, Werner doesn't start scoring, but like I think he'll be all right. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, well, let's move on. Let's move on to West Ham. Uh, surprise of the weekend. They were my pick for biggest upset of the weekend. West Ham, who struggled earlier on. They faced uh, Wolves, who have had a good preseason. We have high hopes for Wolves. They lost their opening game to Man City, but no one kind of held that against them because it's Man City. Uh, yeah, going into this game, I think we all picked Wolves to win, and West Ham ran out the 4-0 winners, comfortably the better side. And yeah, I had the biggest margin of victory I've, I think we've seen so far this season, 4-0. Definitely would not have anyone would have bet on West Ham this game, especially 4-0. These are their first points of the season. Yeah, they lost against, both games. Against a Wolves team that, like you said, everyone is rates very highly. West Ham, they came out to play today. I think Wolves, I'm not sure. Do you think they just looked a little disorganized? Do you think? Yeah, I, I thought they, they looked like they were caught by surprise. So, you know, West Ham came with a similar setup to Leicester where they were like just playing off the break. Again, Wolves had more possession than West Ham. They had 63%, had more touches, more passes. But yeah, I mean, they just couldn't contain West Ham's forwards. Antonio, Bowen, and Fornals up front, they just kept hitting them again and again. Yeah, and I think, I think Bowen, I think Jared Bowen looked great from what, from what I was able oh, yeah. to see. He was look, making really positive, making the most of some of those chances. I saw that quick, quick free kick was taken. Uh, so that led to that first goal from Bowen. So quick good thinking mm-hmm. um yeah i just think wolves players look kind of flat and fabio silva brought some quality on to, when he came on he's Wolves signing that i think he might be the record signing i'm not sure but um yeah another young portuguese i believe yeah, classic or some nelson like tomato portuguese players now i think essentially Something. um uh, nelson tomato mm-hmm. made his debut 
I think, he, like I said, I think he's going to fit well in, into that system. Yeah, I just think it was kind of one of those off days for Wolves. Uh, Raul Jimenez, not really able to get involved, actually had a goal going the other way. Um, I just think it was, I just think it was one of those rough days at the office for them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not, 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 not to say that West Ham didn't deserve the points or anything. They definitely did. They were, they looked great going forward and they definitely took advantage of Wolves not being all, all together, all together there, I think. But yeah. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree completely. I think that, yeah, just like you say, West Ham definitely deserved to win today, but I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be worried if I was a Wolves fan because I think it's more a case of they look like they were caught by surprise a little bit, Wolverhampton. But I, I wouldn't expect, you know, moving forward them to have some serious sort of systemic issues. It's, it's sort of like a, a you, you lose games, you know, you, you lose games here and there. It's going to happen, you know, just because it happens at the beginning of the season, people overreact and think, oh, it's a prediction of how the season is going to turn out. Not really. In, in the case of Wolves, I don't think. I think they'll be okay. But yeah, I mean, for my most exciting player of the weekend was Jared Bowen uh, for, for West Ham. He scored the opening goal. He actually got two goals. Uh, I think it was the opening two goals to make it 2-0. And he had great work rate. He's always running off the ball. He probably should have had a hat trick, to be honest. There was a point, I think, in the second half where it came to him. And I think it like just glanced off the crossbar for a corner. And he really should have put it away. So he, should, he could have had a hat trick. He, he's fun to watch. You know, he kept running. He was a big part of the, the West Ham. I talked about West Ham having a very like, direct sort of game plan. Just hit them on the wings and, and going quick uh, with Antonio and Fornals as well. So, yeah, he played the match in my estimation, Jared Bowen. But, yeah, really good win for West Ham. 4-0. It was comfortable. It was confident. Wolves probably could have scored a few times, but they were played, played off the park. Yeah, probably going to instill some confidence in Sebastian Howler, which is West Ham's record signing, who has um, scored his goal when he came on as a substitute. So if he's able to start scoring goals, if Antonio remains, I think Antonio is. I think I don't. I wouldn't necessarily call him underrated. I just. I just think he's a really talented player. Uh, this game comes in good time for them. They've got a run of pretty tough fixtures. Uh, West Ham play Everton tomorrow in the uh, the League Cup. And then back in the Premier League on the next weekend, they play Leicester and then Tottenham uh, and then Man City and then Liverpool. So a pretty tough run of fixtures coming up. But, you know, this game is important because it gives them some points. You know, they lost the past two games. If they'd lost this game, then I think the next four, they could easily lose and, and, and things could be quite different. But they've got points on the board. Uh, they'll have a little bit more, um, you know, not motivation, but they'll feel a bit better about themselves. Maybe moving into the the Tottenham game, you know, they might fancy themselves to get a draw or even a win there. I, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised. A bit of a London derby. So I, yeah, I think this win is really 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 big for them. I think anyone can try and shoot for a draw when they're going up against Tottenham. <laughs> oh man! Uh, or any any Jose Mourinho side that is. Tottenham are looking bad, aren't they? To be quite honest. Yeah. How how do you think? Do you think Bale's going to have? A positive impact how do you feel about him being back in the Premier League I I think he will yeah I think I think he'll do wonders for them well I don't know about wonders I think he'll do I think he'll do very well for them he's not going to be the same Gareth Bale that left he's a different player he's older he's going to be slower but still just the like the energy of having him back having a legend back at the club having a big big brand name back at the club it should lift their spirits I think I I always loved Gareth Bale at Madrid i Watched a lot of Real Madrid when he and Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo were there. And mm. I thought he got a lot more hate than he deserved. Uh, but everyone knows Wales, golf, or golf Wales Madrid. 
Right. So I guess we'll see how where Tottenham Hotspur falls in that lineup. But I think with him up front, as long as Harry Kane keeps passing the ball like like Lionel Messi, um, and <laughs> and Son is, I think one of the best players in the Premier League. I think he doesn't get the credit that he deserves. I think the top three, this front three, can cause a lot of a lot damage. of trouble. Yeah. If if they're not limited too much by Jose Mourinho's system, which is kind of what you, t- you tend to see. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think the, the problem with Tottenham is that their defense lets them down and their midfield lets them down. And yeah, I don't know. It looks. I think they'll struggle this season. When I say struggle, I mean struggle for like their from from their uh, perspective. You know, and compare it like relatively to to where they should be. They'll probably still get top six. I think Tottenham. But yeah, rough rough start. So speaking of Tottenham. Uh, they saw out a probably undeserved 1-1 draw with Newcastle this this weekend. Um, to be fair, the Tottenham, I mean, we've just been like shitting on them a little bit, but they deserve to win against Newcastle. Um, Callum Wilson equalized through a very late penalty, uh, controversially given for a handball. It was like the 90 plus minute, I think it was, or the 88th minute. It was like very, very late on in the game that Newcastle drew to make it 1-1. Uh, mm-hmm. we've, we've kind of talked about VAR already. This was another case of that, wasn't it? Like another. Yeah, this is another one. I think this is probably the worst one of, of the weekend. In my in my opinion, I thought a lot of the other ones that you saw were more deserved, or I could see the reasonings behind them. But for this one to be called back, uh, Eric Dyer's jumping up. I I don't know really what else he can do, and I, I love the memes that I'm seeing of people like jumping straight up into the air, but their arms are at, <laughs> are at their, are at their side. They look right, like a, right. fl- a fish out of water. And it's like, this yeah, is how the yeah. FA want, um, want the players to jump. Uh, yeah. Cause you know how natural it is. You have, to, but uh, it, this is a tough one for me. I think they're going to feel really hard done. Um, what do you think? Do you think it was, do you think it was a pen? So it, it's a, it's a weird one for me because I feel like the handball law was fine for the longest time. Like growing up watching football and everything, it never seemed to be an issue. You know, you'd always complain if it was your team who conceded a handball penalty, but it didn't seem okay. like a big, big thing. Could you like elaborate a bit on me who started watching maybe a bit later on? If, if was it a lot different from when like you were well, a child? It, it just, it feels like in the past three years in particular, they've begun tinkering with the handball law. I think that's a consequence of VAR. I think now that we have VAR and we're able to rewatch things, suddenly this is being put in more scrutiny. Because before, okay, take Eric Dyer for Tottenham. In real time, you know, it, it was a header. And I think it like glanced off Dyer's forearm or whatever, his elbow as they were jumping. It like barely glanced off. In real time, you would just like play on usually, unless it was like really obvious. And so I, I think it wasn't, it was the same handball law in place, but it wasn't enforced in the same way because it didn't have to be. But now, because you can replay, you can go like frame by frame, and you can see it like glance off his elbow or his forearm, like just so slightly, then you kind of you're forced to make a decision. The rules for handball, and one of them is if player's arm is raised above their shoulder, it's a handball, which has always been the law. But it's like it's really hard because you know, like you're saying, when people jump, you know, you jump with your arms to get up. So it's, it's a tough one. I have seen on I saw on Twitter. You know, we're recording this episode Tuesday evening, and I think in like the next hour or so on Tuesday, there's going to be a meeting with the FA and representatives of all the clubs from the Premier League, and they're essentially they're going to discuss the 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 handball law, and they can't 
they can't change the rules halfway through a season, but what they can do and what I think the suggestions seem to be the case that they would do is direct the F, the referees to have more flexibility. So like a referee could look at like the Eric Dar situation and he could have a bit more freedom to, you know, have his own discretion and not call it. Right. Which, yeah, I mean, I think they're just listening to all the clubs <laughs> and they're trying to have less handballs, less calling for less penalties, but. It's yeah, it's, it's, I was going to say, it's a, it's a tough one. And not, it's a, it's another. It's going to be another year of, like you said, they can't do anything in the middle of the season, and we've seen it so much already. And it's like I said, started seeing with VAR last year with uh, things like offside, and you know they were looking at mm. this really, really marginal, fractionally offside. Right. They got to zoom in, super zoom dis- decisions, and uh, they started doing that. Uh, I think I think there might have been one in the first the first week but they started doing it early on and i said that's going to be the precedent now and they're going to have to do that the whole time or if they don't do it people are going to be pissed and this we're seeing it so much in three weeks into the season with this handball it's already the topic of discussion it's probably going to continue being because that's just how the trend's going to be that that's what's hot and talked about right now that this precedent set it's going to keep happening this way it's going to be it's going to be controversial all season uh, i think we're going to see definitely a lot a lot of penalties uh so fantasy players should put your penalty takers in your squads yeah, yeah i've heard that that's a good strategy um yeah what do you think Ken? yeah i mean yeah like you said honestly as a fan of the game i i wish like more of the conversation was around the football that was happening and not about the ref decisions. You know, last year, a lot of the complaining was about VAR, the offsides, you know, the very, very marginal calls. And I was one of them. You know, I was also yelling at my TV for these like millimeter, you know, toenails offside sort of things. This year, it seems to be we're yelling at the TV for the handball. And, you know, we talked about it last week a little bit in the preview. I'm, I'm pro VAR. There's going to be wrinkles that are going to work out. I think for, for this particular case of the handball, I just would love more clarity around the different instances or when is that a handball, when isn't it a handball. I, I do agree that there needs to be clarity on it. I'm just not sure the best way for that to, to happen. Yeah, well, I, I suppose we'll see what happens tonight from this yeah. meeting, if there are any changes. And of course, this coming you know, next weekend and the following weekends, we'll see. Okay, so around the table, we'll just go through quickly or briefly uh, summarize the other five games or the other four games from the uh, weekend and Cody and I can just talk about some takeaways so Everton uh, won their third successive game of the season making it three from three hot start for them with a 2-1 win over Crystal Palace Uh, the goals were shared between their informed man Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison he got on a score sheet for the first time this Premier League season and those were enough to give them the three points for Southampton an early goal from Danny Ings was enough to guide them to a 1-0 victory at Burnley, giving Southampton a must-needed uh, first win of the season. They'll be thrilled about that. Leeds United left it late, on the other hand, uh, to beat Sheffield, relying on an 88th-minute winner from Patrick Bamford to secure a 1-0 win up in their Yorkshire Derby. Uh, Newcastle and Tottenham, we've talked about, battled out a 1-1 draw, probably uh, better for Newcastle than it was for Spurs. And finally, Fulham did not surprise anybody and lost 3-0 to a much better Aston Villa, uh, leaving Fulham bottom of the table and leaving Fulham fourth in the table after a hot start. They've won two out of two. So Aston Villa doing quite well. 
uh, Fulham not so much. I will say, I did say they didn't surprise anyone. I will say that I predicted a draw here. So egg on my <laughs> face for, for that one. Uh, any, any takeaways from you, Cody, on these last couple of games? Any thoughts? Um, yeah, like you said, um, Aston Villa is it's kind of a takeaway right now. Top four, Leicester, Liverpool, Everton, Aston Villa. I think, hey, mate, that might be how the top four finishes <laughs> as, far, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think they should just yeah. – I, I hope you had locked down two and they end the season and th- it finishes this top four. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I think Everton are still looking good. They got another deserved win. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to be – I'm going to be interested to see when like their first loss happens and sort of how it happens and how they respond is going to be, is going to be nice. Ings I think is a good player. Um, I just think that Southampton are not a very good team. So I expect a lot of one goal performances from them. What what, what was that stat? I forget if that was in the episode or if that was separately told me, but about Ings goal involvements for Southampton. Yeah, I think since like last June or since last year, he's scored forty-five percent of their goals, which obviously which a lot. <laughs> you can't have that. It's probably um, more now because he scored the only goal on on the weekend. It's probably like a little bit higher than that now. Forty-seven <laughs> percent. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> it means if he gets injured, you're losing half your half your goal tally, pretty much. Right. Right. Um, I think I didn't. I didn't really get a chance to watch Leeds and play. That was the 6 a.m. game for me, mm-hmm. so I, I didn't I didn't pop up we'll early for that one. On that one. <laughs> uh, like you said, Fulham, no huge surprises there. I saw, I think it was a tweet that said the only like downside for fantasy owners of owning Mitrovic is that he'll never play against Fulham. <laughs> That's, I hadn't heard that. That's good. Yeah. Um, which I was hoping they would draw. Um, I yeah, go, I, you just I, I don't see I don't see them keeping many clean sheets. I think at the yeah, bottom of the tables we think we're probably gonna where they're gonna where they're gonna stay. But Aston Villa, I think they looked great. I think Jack Grealish looked good. Uh, goal for Horahan, uh, big John McGinn with uh, mm-hmm. a couple assists. I think I think they looked they looked pretty decent. They were Grealish was were, on there scoring the first goal. Mm-hmm. He looked good. Yeah, a smart, smart run from the midfield. Yeah, picked out well. Um, cute, cute little finish at the end. Again, Fulham. It's 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 no real surprise, but I, I do. Uh, I, yeah. I feel bad for Fulham because I got a good friend of mine listened to the podcast. What he listened at the beginning. I don't know if he still listens now. Uh, Sam Havel, big big Fulham fan. Um, so I do. I like him. I hope they they sort of figure something out. But yeah, the first couple of game weeks is not looking too great from Fulham's perspective. Uh, losing three in the bounce. Just you were talking about Everton, and and you were kind of musing on when's the first game they might lose. Interestingly enough, so the next game in the league is against Brighton at home, which is probably a winnable one for Everton. After that, it's the uh, Merseyside derby. So after that is Everton Liverpool, which would be quite fun to watch. Probably will be their first loss as things are going. But I don't know. Is yeah, that game definitely... um, is that game at a, is that at Anfield? It's at Goodison. Yeah, so they they have a hope. If it was Anfield, I don't, don't don't even show up, which is forfeit and save your time, I think. But that street that street's got to end sometime. I don't know when it's going to end. Yeah, I mean it has to surely. But I'll be impressed if Liverpool keep up their home record during like lockdown, like during no fans, because you have yeah. to think part of that record's got to be their insane fan base, right? Like that's got to uh, be part of sure. the home advantage. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you have any sort of 
uh, other info on how well what the, how that's looking over there on that spectrum of fans back into stadium and all yeah, that. Yeah, hopefully soon. So last week, uh, a number of teams in League One and League Two in England, so the, the the third and fourth division in English football, trialed a having fans back in. So there were eight different games, and they all had a th- about a thousand fans in each. And it was like a trial run. They're definitely trying. I think the idea is by October to start having 25% capacity in the Premier League and then just have them spread out, which from what I've been hearing, it seems like they're trialing out things and they're moving towards that. So we, we might have you know 25%, 30% capacity back in, which I'd be thrilled about that. So even just being able to watch with without the sound put in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Even having a few fans, you know, even having someone to cheer when they score will make a huge difference. Absolutely. I know me personally, I cannot wait to get back to get, it's just so different. Like watching football at the ground is a whole different experience. Okay. Well, it sounds like they're doing a much, um, probably better and safer way than we're handling it over here in the yeah, States. I was, I was going to ask, what's happening with the MLS? Where, um, we're starting some trials in limited capacity for, I'm not sure, but MLS, but I know in like college football, like American college football, mm-hmm. I've just seen that these places, these Alabamas and Auburns and Georgias. Uh, I love the football. Very, yeah. Very little. And you, you're seeing this quote unquote six feet social distancing where it's just rows of fans six feet apart from each other side to side but still in front of each other right right if that makes sense so i guess in the united states coronavirus only travels (laughs) horizontally (laughs) is what they think um and yeah i I, we we see some crazy stuff over here in the restaurants I, i haven't seen so like for college football games are they having like half the stadium is full or something are they having actually thousands of people come I, I I believe I they're seen. Start wow. trying to do like 50% capacity at places. Oh my God. Uh, any other, I got one more takeaway yeah. from, from these games. Uh, Sheffield, just going to say they are not looking as good as I thought they would look. They've they got three losses in their opening three games. They've lost all the games. They're second from the bottom, only Fulham are below them. And what's more than that, they haven't scored yet. They've lost every game. I think the first game they lost 2-0 then 1-0, and then they lost 1-0 again to Leeds this weekend. So they've lost all games, haven't scored. Yeah, Sheffield, I thought, you know, they finished last season. Uh, I think they got 11th. One of the good stories of the season last year, they had a very good defense. I thought they might be top half the table again, sort of 10th, 11th. I thought they'd build on last season. Uh, so far, not not looking good. Yeah, uh, I remember, I think we just said something a little bit last week about definitely Dean Henderson being a big part of right. that. But like you said... Um, that Dean Henderson doesn't have anything to do with scoring goals. Uh, at least I hope yeah. he, he. I hope not. <laughs> uh, he's taking the free kicks. Um, they don't really seem to have that goal threat this year, and I, I wasn't aware of that stat that they hadn't scored yet. But that that is a bit worrying. They're not. They're not looking. They're not looking great. Do you think? Do you think you go out and try and sign someone before the window closes is that is that the answer do you need uh, do you need a spark plug to plug in there i don't know it's not looking too good for sheffield because four of the next five games in the league is arsenal liverpool man city and chelsea that's a rough the only the only the only silver lining is the fifth game of the five is against fulham 
So you might have a relegation scrap potentially. Uh, I don't think Sheffield will get relegated, but you might have a bottom table scrap. Uh, do you have any other takeaways, thoughts from any of the games? That's about that's about it for me this weekend. That's all I was able to to get note of and yeah. everything. But yeah, uh, who last thing? Who who won the weekend for you? For me, Jamie Vardy won the weekend. Mm. That hat trick against City is going to set them off on on a good run. I think that's kind of showing that he's still got it. Uh, I'm looking forward to of the season with, with seeing what he can do. Right. Yeah, I had uh, Leicester winning the weekend. I think probably Jamie Vardy is probably even more accurate, even more specific. Yeah, Jamie Vardy and, and the whole Leicester team. I mean, to, to go to Man City and to win 5-2 is it's a statement. It says something. Uh, they're going to be good this year, and they've got a point to prove, it looks like. So, yeah, roll on, roll on Leicester. Yeah, um, it, it it is funny. One, I remember one last thing I wanted to share when I was yeah. watching that West Brom Chelsea game. Uh, I texted one of my buddies who's who's a Chelsea fan, and uh, immediately he just responded, "I'm a Leeds fan now." So I I, I said that if it wasn't for that um, that late winner for United, I, uh, I might have jumped on that bandwagon too. We just all be Leeds fans now, and <laughs> I think we just all be yeah. Leeds fans and sit on buckets. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. We'll have a good time. Have Bamford lead us to glory. Yeah. Well, it's not too late to yes. change over. We can still get our Leeds, <laughs> our Leeds kit. Cool. I got the, we got the man buns and everything. Yeah, yeah. You're already there, mate. You're already sorted out. <laughs> oh dear. All right. Um. Hey, thanks so much for joining me. I think that about about wraps up today's episode we'll be back uh part-time football will be on thursday previewing game uh, weekend four so do tune in for that and yeah cody thanks so much for joining me yeah thanks for having me take yeah. care Cheers, man.